When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Eli Sussman here, of course, the managing editor of Fish Stripes. I have Louis Adio Weiss, Kevin Barral along with me. This is going to be aisle two of our Marlins offseason shopping series. Uh, you can find this pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. And most of the stuff, we get it on YouTube. The first episode, due to some technical hiccups we didn't put the full length episode but assuming things go smoothly here maybe you are watching us right here uh, and i hope you are because i'm putting in a little bit of effort on the visuals on this side of the series a series that we did last year brought it back this year in a slightly more condensed form and with kevin along for the ride this time so wherever you are listening to this you'll be able to find aisle one and really quick as a refresher for everybody the players we highlighted in aisle one players that had one or less wins above replacement last season. According to Baseball Reference, we featured, just to name a few, Brandon Belt, Ramon Laureano, Royce Lewis, Andrew Chafin, Brad Hand, Joey Gallo, Robbie Grossman, Nolan Gorman, Adam Frazier, Jared Walsh, James Outman, Araldis Chapman, and Trevor Rosenthal. A variety of trade and potential free agent targets for the Marlins. Off the top, I just want... One sentence from each of you guys on this. Of all those players that we covered on the previous aisle, if you were to make one prediction as to which one of them would be a Marlin next year, who would it be? I will start with myself. I predict that the Marlins will acquire out of that list. I think they'll get Royce Lewis. I think they'll make a bold trade for Royce Lewis. If you had to pick anybody from aisle one, Kevin, that we featured, Loriano, Lewis, Chafin, Hand, Gallo, Grossman, Gorman, Frazier, Walsh, Outman. What do you, which of those do you think is most realistic that could happen? Oof, that is difficult to choose, but I think I'm going to agree with you here. I'm going to be a little bit boring. I'm going to go Royce Lewis. I think, I think they could get a nice trade for him there. And, and um, Lewis, same question to you. Being that this team isn't a stranger to moves that are head scratchers, I'll say Chapman. That could be a guy. I mean, if you ask me, like, if I took off the objective cap and you said the guy I'd most like to see, it'd be Outman, given that I think he would give them the answer in center field. You know, aisle one is aisle one, and we're on to aisle two. Right. So by definition, the way we categorize that, almost all those players had some sort of wart or uncertainty about them because they didn't produce much in the majors last year. As we move up to aisle two, all we're doing is moving up the wins above replacement scale. Players will feature here are guys who last season in the majors produced between one and three wins above replacement. Players that, I mean, generally you're talking about league average everyday players or potentially guys that are much better than league average but miss some time for a variety of reasons. It's, it's a much sexier group of a lot of, as we'll find out, a lot of former stars, a lot of players that are on the cusp of stardom 
from a variety of angles. And as before, we're going to look at both free agents and trade targets that we've each picked out independently. And I imagine there's going to be some overlap here. I'm going to start it off just because this is the uh, elephant in the aisle, you could say. A player that we've spent a whole lot of time thinking about probably over the last year plus mm -hmm. who has slipped down in the aisles compared mm -hmm. to last year because he's coming off probably his worst full-length season in the major leagues. It's Brian Reynolds of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is, he's been a, an everyday outfielder for them for most of the last four years. Last year, he had, he was the guy that was really the hottest trade target out there and so hot that he was kind of unattainable. You know, if we believe reporting by Craig Mish, Marlins insider, um, they tried, they tried and they tried and they tried and the Pirates just set this unattainable asking price in order to try to acquire him when at the time he had four years left of control and now with three years left of control, he's coming off a season where he slashed 262, 345, 461, exactly three wins above replacement according to baseball reference. So he is on the upper end by any measure of the players we're going to be talking about. He's been an all-star before. He got MVP votes, down ballot MVP votes in 2021. He, this past season, got off to kind of a mediocre start for an extended stretch. Then he caught fire in the middle of the year. Then he got hurt. And then towards the end of the year, he was all right. And he put it all together. He's about 25% better than league average. And he's a guy that started out more as a corner outfielder. And this past year is when he fully completed the conversion. He played 99% of his defensive innings last year in center field. He's, it's a switch. He's just a great switch hitter, uh, even coming off the year that he just had. Out to center. Carrying and gone! Bushes! <laughs> Brian Reynolds ties the game in the seventh. A new career high, number 25 for Reynolds. Stay hot, B-Ray. And the Pirates coming off a year where they were probably even worse than people could have feared. So we think he's going to be available. We think he's going to be a little bit more affordable than he was the previous year. The big question probably is whether we're confident in him as a center fielder. Because exactly. the defensive metrics last year were concerning. Um, I prefer to zoom out. And if you look at his major league career to this point, uh, by outs above average, by defensive run saves, he's been close to a league average center fielder overall. And so I'm somebody that's still relatively high on him. Um, and he's going to be one of the main focuses for me as we enter this offseason as somebody that I think still makes a lot of sense despite what those numbers said this past year. I'll go to you, Lewis, just about your Brian Reynolds thoughts and how he potentially fits in and whether or we think he should be a high priority for the team. Yeah. Um, it's so strange. The dichotomy that presents itself is the fact that this team has struggled to score runs really ever since 20 past, uh, the start of 2018 season. Um, and Reynolds is a proven hitter. I mean, ahead of the 2022 season, he had a 127 adjusted OPS plus. He literally ended 2022 with an adjusted OPS plus of 127. So what you see is what you get. You're going to get about 30% above the league average. The defense, though, I'm really glad you touched on that. Since the start of 2021, the first time he started playing extensive center field, and obviously you prefaced by saying that, 22 was the first year in which center field was his primary address in the outfield. He has cost his the Pirates 19 runs by DRS in the outfield. That's the worst among all qualified center fielders in this span. Uh, he was 
cost the team a full win by defensive war this year, a little bit more to 1.1 D war cost them 14 runs by DRS this year. So cost them about five last year. That being said, I mean, he was in the sixth percentile and out above average. I think he's eventually going to be a corner outfielder, but with the defensive mind, I think that maybe makes him more affordable. Although I think the bat is such that it's he's displayed enough consistency that he can maybe offset that a little bit. And I think the Pirates could still get, obviously, a nice return for him. Because I think, you know, if you're being honest, he's a consistent four-win player when all is well. If the defense is average, he's a four-win player who has 25 homer power. He's not a burner on the bases. He's not a great – he's not going to steal you a ton of bags. But there are, he does so many things well. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Nick Markakis with a little bit more power. And Markakis was, you know, played center field too before he went to Atlanta and became more of a corner guy. Um, yeah, he just, you know, you start talking about the slow start. He had a 619 OPS in his first 21 games. Then he got hot and he kind of just rounded into form. Baseball has a, you know, for all the kind of questions that surround the randomness of the sport, it has a way of sorting itself out. Averages tend to, you know, average. And he kind of became or... Uh, retained who he had always been for the last couple of years, minus the uh, anomaly that was 2020. I, I mean, I like Reynolds. I I'm I had him on my list as well as guys to talk about. Um, the only concern, yeah, is the defense, but I think he would give them a premium bat, a middle of the order bat too. I mean, like it wouldn't be hyperbole to say he'd probably be hitting three or four for them. Would he be acquired, barring they don't make any other moves to supplement that lineup? Yeah. Anything else, Kevin, that we should mention about Reynolds? No, I just think the price is going to be lower this time around. That's really the only thing I want to see uh, add on there. I really don't know what they'll give up because last time we heard the price was extremely, extremely high, and Miami did have a trade set and it never went through, as I, I believe it was reported by Craig Mish himself, if I'm correct. And um, it, it was going to be a lot being given up. But I believe now after this down year for Reynolds, you know, you kind of would assume that the the value goes down. That's really the only thing I want to add to to Reynolds. And if if he's Miami Marlin, then he almost likely slip into center field or because I you know you have Ivy in right field and I don't know how much left field experience he has. Right. So we will find out. He is. It depends again how motivated the Pirates are to deal him. But they they're coming off a pretty bad year, 100 losses. Again, they didn't really take much of a step forward at the major league level, and he's steadily getting more expensive. But right now, in that sweet spot, do about six and a half million next year, where it's like you could see the Marlins actually paying that for a guy over the next few years. He really is in that sweet spot. He's not a perfect player, but in terms of ones that were trying to aspire for guys with great upside versus ones that are actually attainable, kind of fit in. Uh, I'm, I'm still pretty high on him, and so I'm very intrigued to see how the rumor mill spins around him this offseason. But, Kevin, give us another name to cover on this aisle. All right, so I'm going to name another big elephant. I was talking to Lewis about this player, and I'm going to go with Anthony Rizzo from the New York Yankees. He currently, I believe, still has this player option, but assuming he opts out of that, <clears throat> he's a great fit for Miami. Florida boy, he actually is a 30-homer guy. He's done it various times, I believe. He had 32 this season. Um, the, this team really does need a first baseman. I mean, you have Cooper, but if you really look into it, you could probably trade Coop. He's a very injury-prone guy. 
uh, once again ends this season off due to injury concerns. But this is the most healthiest he's been, his healthiest season, you could say. But I think you'd kind of want an upgrade there. You really don't know what the future with Lewin holds. No more minor league options. The offense is a little bit iffy. The defense is great, but um, Rizzo's a really good defender. I believe, was he the gold glove winner for the AL? He was a finalist. He Vlad lost to Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr., of all people. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah, well, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure Lewis can touch on this, that Rizzo, for whatever reason, this year he created a very poorly defensively overall. Otherwise, he probably would have won that award by default. But, yeah, he is um, he's, he's a fun name. He's been hypothetically potentially linked to the Marlins in the past just because he's from South Florida. He's from Broward. Um, when He's a Broward guy. Yeah. yeah yeah his side note his parents i he's when i used to work i don't for those who aren't aware kevin has a, a part-time job it, being that he's in high school works at Publix. when i worked at Publix, past Publix alum uh anthony rizzo's parents because i worked in parkland would shop at that Publix, and he came in one day i believe he came in the day of the super bowl when um the patriots had that like historically great comeback against the uh, the Falcons in 2017 for the 2016 season. Very down to earth guy. His dad is such a nice guy. His mom, very, very, very great women, wow, woman. But uh, yeah, no, Rizzo, Rizzo still definitely has ties to South Florida. I mean, I played travel baseball when I was like 13 with one of his high school teammates, like, and, and hearing about Rizzo when he was still a prospect with the Red Sox before he was to the Padres. So he's kind of been a name that's been on my radar forever just because, you know, I think when you hear about guys that are local kids um, and now he's a man in his mid thirties, you root for him more because they're representing, I guess the region in which you, you know, grow up and, you know, it's, it's fun. I mean, I, the point I had on Rizzo is that I was telling Kevin this before the show, Eli, I think Rizzo, given the comments that he made, and maybe you can give me a little bit more insight on this. He had, like Kevin noted, he has the player option. I believe it's for 16 million because he signed a, two-year $32 million deal, mm -hmm. essentially one for 16 with a $16 million option, same amount he made this year. Um, the comments he made at the end of the season about Aaron Judge, who you know we see as the odds on favor to win the American League MVP, is that if the Yankees resign him, they should make him team captain, something that I'd endorse. Um, but when Rizzo said that, he noted that uh, Aaron Judge should be our team captain. That kind of led me to hypothesize that Rizzo, you know, may decline his option and wait to see where judge goes, because I think the first base market teams can always use premium power, especially a guy like Rizzo who doesn't strike out. He's one of those rare yeah, first basemen who has this innate ability to put the ball in play. Like he's just always cutting down on his strikeout rate. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of follows Judge. If maybe they, I'm not too privy as to how their personal relationship goes as teammates. <laughs> Marlins, you know, I have a little bit of insight on here. You're referring so, to yeah, their relationship. That for me. They, they no, they both own. Um, I think these are dachshunds. They both own the same dog breed. And there was this storyline that somebody that's in New York and is around this stuff a little bit more. They um, they bonded over the fact that they have. They are dog owners of very similar dogs, and um, that was they do by all accounts appear to be genuine friends. Uh, I'm a little skeptical as to like how much they really um, are going to be a package deal if they leave the Yankees. I imagine that 
you know, the ideal scenario for the for everybody involved is probably the Yankees uh, resign them, resign both of them, and mm-hmm. keep them together like this. Um, just to give a little bit more specifics for the audience, the option that he has for next year is sixteen million dollars. So if he's going to um, leave, and he's going to be probably seeking slightly more than that on an annual basis, that'd be more than anybody on the Marlins currently makes. So I'd be that would be a little bit surprising to see them invest that much money for somebody that's only a first baseman where he's all the way at the bottom of the defensive spectrum. And as we mentioned, he is coming off a year where he wasn't quite as sharp on that end as usual. So this is one where I understand the connection. I'd be pretty shocked to see this happen uh, if for no other reason than the fact that the Yankees are hopeful to keep him. And so bidding directly against the Yankees for a player usually doesn't go well for people that might not remember. I think those teams came down kind of to the wire for DJ LeMahieu when he signed his first deal with the team, which was like four years ago that the Yankees were kind of interested in him on like a two year deal for a a free agent at that Mm -hmm. point that uh, wasn't exactly sure where his career was going to go in that moment. And the Yankees, the Yankees won that bidding war against the Marlins as expected. So that's, I'm not, I wouldn't be very optimistic about anything being different this time around, but no doubt um, that's a big question mark for the team, that position at first base, given um, what we saw from Lewin down the stretch and those concerns that Kevin mentioned about Cooper, but give us another player, Lewis, now that we've covered Reynolds and Rizzo. So I think if you can't get Anthony Rizzo, um, you can get a more cost-effective option that analytics would tell us, you know, you know, this is a war centric episode was similar in the value accrued vein of him. And that's Brandon Drury. We talked about Anthony Rizzo being primarily a first baseman and the long gone are the days of Joe Madden moonlighting him at third base for an out with these weird plays or second base or whatever the case may be. But Drury was a guy who was kind of like you similar to LeMahieu, although LeMahieu obviously a different kind of player whose career was at a crossroads. If you remember, and this is a fun stat, in 2020 in that pandemic shortened season, Drury had about a cup of coffee with the Blue Jays that season. Mm-hmm. He had an adjusted OPS plus of literally zero. <laughs> like he was literally like 100% below league average, if that's how you would see OPS plus. And then, you know, two years later, after rebounding a little bit, I believe with the Mets last year, if I'm not mistaken, but he moved around a little bit. He had a 122 OPS plus this year, and he was still an above average hitter after leaving Cincinnati for San Diego. He hit a couple of home runs for them in the postseason, I believe. 28 homers, 31 doubles. Um, he 20 starts at least at first, second, and third base. You could play him at shortstop for one game and not be too concerned. He's even got some corner outfield experience, so the metrics don't love him there. I mean, he's like John Birdie with power, although he doesn't run. It's just like, you know, he provides value. He was worth 2.2 baseball reference war. Rizzo is at 2.3. I mean, he could theoretically be an everyday first baseman, and you could get 30 home runs out of him, though you may have to tamper expectations given the ballpark. Um, But, yeah, Drury is an interesting player. Defensively, we talked about the versatility. You know, Rizzo was on the bottom end of the spectrum primarily because his arm strength has gotten worse. He was in the ninth percentile and odds above average. But then you look at Drury, 72nd percentile. And he likely won't command as much money because, obviously, the track record is on his long. Um, We don't know what it's going to look like moving forward. 
But that being said, like a two-year deal for a guy like that, would it be like the worst thing in the world? Like, I mean, like he, I think you'd feel more confident with him than you would say Solaire, just because there's maybe no risk that he's going to get hurt. He, he'll strike out. And I think, but it's not any worse than, you know, most other guys nowadays would. I mean, it's, in line, if not slightly above the league average, but Drury is maybe a more cost-effective option to Rizzo, um, but not a bad one. Drury to left field. Connor Joe going back. Brandon Drury now plays. It's Slam Diego. Brandon Drury in his first AB in a Padres uniform hits a grand slam. Why? Because he's in Slam Diego. I love that name. I absolutely love it. Yeah, no, he he was a guy that um, we had, I had circled, I think, maybe like even last year, like you could have bought low on him. He's got a 121 OPS plus since the start of last season. But uh, Eli, uh, Kev, give me some of your thoughts on on Brandon Drew. I mean, 62% hard hit rate, like he's hitting the ball hard consistently. That's something that you like. Wait a second, wait, wait. That, that, I think that sounds a little too good to be true. 62? I think is. Like forty-two this past I'm year. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, maybe forty-two. My my handwriting just looks like chicken scratch. But which even is that, like, yeah, yeah. I'm still on board. I'm still very much on board with uh, brain injury. You mentioned like somewhat like, John Birdie with power. I think it's more of just a, a Brian Anderson replacement. If sure. BA is in this situation where he only has one <clears> year left to control anyway, you know, there's the chance that maybe they trade him, or if really there's no takers, they yeah. could non-tender him and save money that way. Drury is going to be a little bit more expensive, but you hopefully get what you pay for as somebody that is coming off yeah. this really impressive year, a career year yeah. for somebody that is almost the same age as BA. He is a little younger than people might think. He just turned 30 late last season. So, um, and because of that, I, I think uh, the price may be higher than we might expect also, but he's somebody that I think even at the high end, he, he's affordable. Like he is somebody that I think no excuses. If the Marlins really want him, they could use him. The versatility is a nice plus. And he even late in the year, the numbers came back down to earth a little bit after the midseason trade from the Reds, the Padres. That's really not that unusual with like big time trade candidates during the year. It happened to Juan Soto of all people. It happens mm-hmm. to a lot of players. So I'm not too scared away by that either. I think that's. I just think that's a great name. I think that's somebody that they should be in on because he's a bat and he's very versatile and covers a lot of different positions for a team that just can kind of mix it up uh, in the infield stuff. For whatever reason, they had some decent names in their infield this past year and it just didn't work. You know, those yeah. guys just didn't produce. So if nothing else, they're just looking for change of scenery at those spots. I definitely see the fit there for Drury. I wanted to clarify 62nd percentile on a hard hit rate. Ah, if he had a 62% hard hit rate, we'd be talking about a contract that we may have never seen before. So, yeah. Yeah. I like, I like Brandon Drury. I, I, I believe he, he was on the Reds this year, got traded to the Padres. He actually got traded in Miami. So he was here when, when he got dealt and he did not make the all-star game surprisingly. I remember mentioning him to you guys early on in the season when this team was in it. The Marlins at the time were in it, and uh, as as an option because he was just having a great season. And I believe he was on a minor league deal or or such a, a super cheap deal. And he's definitely going to be making a good amount of money if he keeps this up next season. And now uh, that's a great signing wherever you put him in the infield, and it'll, it'll make a lot of sense. Because we mentioned him, I might as well bring up a teammate of Drury's towards the end of the year as the next player 
with the Padres, and that is Trent Grisham. All right, you got my guy. Good. That's that's a good thing that there's some overlap. Battleship. Overthinking of. And I off the top, I need to credit Arm Layden of Just yes. Baseball because he's the one that kind of bronze my head that he might actually be available as a trade candidate, even though he was close to an everyday player on a contending team and he's still affordable. Um, he didn't have a good year offensively. That's that's just being blunt about it. It was a disappointing year for him during the regular season. And really, with the exception of the NLDS and the, the wild card series as well, when he was the hottest guy on the Padres, everything outside of that was a disappointment with the bat. He slashed 184, 284, 341. Uh, he had a good amount of over-the-fence power. He had a career-high 17 home runs while playing pretty much a full season. It's just that, as I just said, he wasn't getting on base. He wasn't getting hits, and he was somebody that the batting average on balls in play, super-duper low, 231, where the league average is in the 290s. So there was some bad luck in there, uh, no doubt. And there was, he's, we're talking about the shift and impact on defensive players. He's somebody that, as a lefty hitter with that low BABIP, naturally you'd expect some regression to the mean when it comes to that next year. There's no doubt about it that he's going to be health permitting. He's going to be a better hitter moving forward than he was in 2022. His career numbers, basically a league average hitter throughout his career, even including last season. So he has a track record to be encouraged about, and he's probably one of the younger players we're going to discuss. He just turned 26 years old. So he is still should be in the very prime of his career, just entering arbitration eligibility. And the reason why that above all else that is exciting is that defensively in center field, he is awesome. He's an awesome defensive center fielder. Um, the metrics agree. I think he just won the gold glove again yep. this year, uh, his second gold glove in three years. One, two to right center field, long run. Grisham will dive and make the catch in right center. Trent Grisham with a great catch from left center to right center, diving to Rob Jock Peterson. And just by the eye test, he passed it as well. Not like an, a ridiculous athlete, but a tremendous fundamental defender, somebody that gets has great instincts, that gets a very quick first step when pursuing balls. And so that is one very specific need that the Marlins have is center field defense. We talked about the questions with Brian Reynolds and Grisham almost has is like the mirror image, the opposite of him, a 180 of him, where I think you could trust the defense about as well as anybody. And you're just hoping that the offense bounces back to like a league average level. And you, if you put that all together, then he just fits very seamlessly into the openings that uh, the Marlins have. What, what do we think about Mr. Grisham? potentially on the move and um what do we think it would cost to acquire him in a trade yeah that's that's interesting because it's down here you would assume the value would be down in terms of what you're giving up because maybe it would definitely be a prospect i would assume i don't know how much major league talent they really want from the marlins um unless they really want some type of pitcher or, or one of their relievers but i don't really know if they would really want major league talent but um, he did have a big down year. That's something I noticed. And once again, you mentioned Aram Layton. That is the only reason why I put him on this list because I saw Aram mention him and I was very intrigued. Gold Glove winner 2022. And he also won it, I believe, a couple years back, as you mentioned too. But his power's still there. 17 homers. I mean, 
more than a lot more than every other Marlin on the roster at the moment. He would fill that void very quickly in center field, and um, he he has a pretty okay track record besides this year. I mean, hitting in the two fifties and right below that as well. It's just the decent hitter. You're mainly bringing him in for the defense, I would assume, and I don't know what the value would be. That's a very very good question. I, I would assume maybe a prospect or two for Trent Grisham, unless San Diego wants some type of big league talent from the Marlins. Maybe Brian Anderson. Who knows? I mean, they could dig into the big league pitching. I mean, they, they could part with a Braxton Garrett. If you want to get kind of wild with it, they could even flirt with the idea of parting with an Eddie Cabrera. I mean, he Maybe. not to say that that would happen. It's just that may be what it takes. You talk about this guy. I mean, the first image that a lot of us have of Grisham is bobbling that ground ball in the wild card game in right field when he was still a brewer. Yeah. And we're like, oh, my God, this is going to, like, eat up with this guy forever. Like, he's, like, never going to recover from this. And the exact opposite has been the case. Like, you know, Eli talked about the low bat, but the one thing that contributed a lot to that was the slight rise in the strikeout rate. Like, he struck out 28% of the time this year. But the dichotomy that presents itself is, like, he was in the eight, I think in the 92nd percentile in chase rate. So like he has a good knowledge of the strike zone. He also, obviously the defense is one thing you talked about the fact that he doesn't get the best jumps still in the 76th percentile in outfielder jumps. So he gets pretty good reads on the ball. Um, 83rd percentile walk rate. Like the guy has a knowledge of the strike zone where like, even when he's not hitting. And again, I, like you said, Eli, I don't suspect he's going to, you know, succumb to being a 180 hitter year in and year out. If that's the case, I mean, he would just be like another Kevin Kiermeyer with like even lower batting average and like like Max Kepler esque Babbitt numbers. It's just like incredibly unlucky. The power's there. I mean, like he's kind of like a stock that you feel confident in acquiring that has the potential to maybe give you more in return on the offensive side because I believe his career OPS is 711. So like he's a like you said about a league average hitter, there's a lot to like there. I mean, the defense would be something that you would shore up for sure. Um, obviously, the new shift rules won't affect outfielders as much. I think that's more like infield specific, yeah. as far as shifting goes. But yeah, he's a stock that I think is worthy investing in. I mean, listen, the Marlins. You, one of the main reasons I think as a front office that you draft so much pitching and it's fundamental to have a lot of pitching is in the event of trading or requiring marquee talent or talent that could further help the roster, you could trade from that pitching depth. And I think the Marlins have enough of that. You know, they're not going to part with the Yuri Perez. He's not worth that. Not even but, You know, you can part with a Braxton Garrett or an Eddie Cabrera. And if you really think a change of scenery is meant, I don't think it'll happen. Trevor Rogers could find himself in San Diego. Again, this is all sus mm. this is all suspicion. I'm not saying any of this has credence. I don't know if it'll happen, but you know, the Marlins aren't a stranger to making offseason trades, as we saw with Stallings, and you know, they've made trades before, so it's not like this is something to put past them. And I did mention you know, this would be kind of a stalling situation, but he would actually provide a lot more hitting. Uh, let's just say that he would right, provide yeah, a better bat than Stallings. It's it would be mainly a defensive oriented move here to bring in a guy like Grisham who who would man down that center field and that's the guy you'll have for a uh, hopefully a very long time until he's old. Yeah, give us another player, Kevin. All right, I'm gonna keep it on the Padres. Uh, I think this will be a very Padres dedicated episode because there is one more player we have to mention. 
But first, I'm going to go with the first pitcher, who is Robert Suarez, free agent for the San Diego Padres, just wrapping up his first season with them. I believe he was in, I want to say Korea. He was, I know he was playing uh, overseas. So this Japan. Japan, there we go. He was 5 and 1, 227 ERA, one save, 47 innings pitched, 322 FIP, 61 strikeouts, 21 walks, four homers, 43% ground ball rate, 11% fly ball to home run rate. This guy could go late in the innings. We've seen him, I believe it was mainly the postseason when we started seeing him and towards the end of the year going deep, um, going into being put into later innings. Um, he doesn't give up much fly balls, which is good. He, he has a high ground ball rate, so I guess to Richard Blair comparison, if you want to throw it in there, but shouldn't cost too much with only one season under his belt. I don't think he'd be the most expensive reliever out there when you when you you know you have someone like Adam Ottavino who had an amazing season and he actually does fall into this category as well. So I want to see who may mention him there, but he's much better than every other option in the bullpen right now. So he would definitely be someone who you would maybe try to throw into that closers role at the beginning of the season and see how that goes. If not, you put him in the seventh or eighth inning guide to, to a setup role there. But I do like Robert Suarez. I know Eli had mentioned him. I believe, I think during that wildcard series against the Mets as a possible yeah. option. So I really do like Robert Suarez, and he would bring that Venezuelan person. He would bring more Venezuelans, hopefully, to the ballpark. Let's see. To fill the void with Aggie leaving. Yeah. I think some other friends, yeah, potentially Eliezer Hernandez going out the door. Need to oh, replenish. Huge, huge, huge loss there. But he is, this guy is uh, right at the top of the scale in terms of VLO. Um, yeah. I think he was in the postseason, he was averaging like 100. And during the regular season, 98 average fastball VLO, mostly fastball changeup. It was one of those changeups, I think, to Bryce Harper that ultimately got them kicked out of the NLCS where he got it. He actually put it in a good spot, and Harper just put a good swing on it. So with Suarez, he has kind of like Rizzo. He has a player option that if he feels he can beat it in free agency, he'll probably test free agency. And in his case, it's only a $5 million player option. Yeah. So for somebody that this year didn't really get any closing opportunities but was a setup guy, um, there are teams, especially like the Marlins, where I think he comes in and he'd immediately be plugged in as their closer. So um, that, and it's, it's it's interesting because he did that in Japan, hasn't done it in the U.S. He has the stuff that makes you think it would work, and the postseason experience is is a plus. But he's a very unconventional guy, as you said, because he's now going to be 32 years old, and he's only pitched one season in the majors, yet you let the stuff should play you would think moving forward and um uh, as as you said i mentioned him already so he's been on my mind as yeah. well as somebody that kind of fits the profile of guys that could have success in higher leverage situations that's a really good one kev I actually like that one a lot I, I didn't even give any credence to the idea of him i knew he was a really old rookie but and i did come from overseas but yeah that's a that's a sneaky one. Um, now, the guy that I wanted to talk about, I believe I briefly mentioned it to you guys ahead of the show. I didn't divulge oh. too much. But um, for my Coldplay fans here, you can play Viva La Vida. You can play Yellow, whatever. I'm going Chris Martin. I like this guy a lot. Like, I'm really big on Chris Martin. Um, and I'll tell you why. Like, I'll refer to some surface-level sabermetric stats. Now, he started the year with the Cubs. Wasn't... Terrible. I mean, he had a 431 ERA and 31 innings pitched with the Cubs. 
Uh, the Cubs are on a terrible defensive team. I mean, you had Nico Horner, Ian Happ on a gold glove in left field. Uh, they were they weren't a bad team, but he got pretty unlucky. Um, if you look under the surface, he had a 302 fit. So mm -hmm. he, he was underperforming his ERA by over a full run. Now, what happens when you trade a guy from a good defensive team to a great defensive team, a team that I believe shifted second most in baseball this year in the Dodgers? They maybe won, but I believe they were second. Trade into the Dodgers. Um, and I think the Dodgers noticed that he maybe ran into some bad luck and they're like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna work with you because we see that there's more there. And then he put up a 146 ERA and a 113 FIP in 21 innings with the Dodgers. He's a little older. I believe he's in his early 30s. And he was a guy that I believe when he first made it to the majors was a Rule 5 guy. I could be wrong about that with Oakland, if I'm not mistaken. Oakland or Colorado. I'm not sure. But look at since – you know what? One You know what's one thing that he does that doesn't get talked about a lot and one thing that the Marlins struggled with out of the bullpen with guys like Steven Oker? He doesn't walk guys at all. Since 2019, he oh, has yeah. a 10.1 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. That's pretty amazing for a late inning reliever who's throwing a 94 to 96 mile an hour sinker. Underrated, a 317 ERA. The bad luck has kind of maybe followed him slightly since then, too. A 287 fit, 192 Ks, and 19 walks in that spin. He's a very under-the-radar reliever. Literally just cracks this list because he was exactly one worth one baseball reference win. But I like him a lot. Like I think the Dodgers will likely try to retain his services the way that you know they brought in Trinan for one year in 2020. That worked, and then they gave him three years to um, kind of stay on with that team. I think maybe they'll get they'll work out something similar with Martin on a multi-year basis. But I think for a team whose bullpen ERA was the eighth worst in the majors for a guy who consistently underperformed his value. And then as you saw, when he went into an organization that had better defense around him, he thrived as he did with the Dodgers. I think Chris Martin would be one of those signings that would you'd look at in mid June and be like, Hmm, this guy is a 150 ERA, but I'm also not surprised about that because he just does a lot of things very well. I actually really like this this option here because yeah, you mentioned it. The walks, he only walked one hitter on the uh, with the Dodgers and four with the Cubs. So yeah, he. Well, I need to walked. give you. I need to give you the one money stat before we move okay. on. From him. As you alluded to, he has among all active pitchers minimum two hundred and fifty innings. Anybody that has pitched at least as many innings as Chris Martin and is still pitching in the majors, he is number one in strikeout to walk ratio. Number one, nobody really? is better among active pitchers that have pitched as many innings as him. It's almost eight strikeouts for any walks, and nobody is close. The next closest guy is Shane Bieber at like five and a half strikeouts to walks. They are in different stratospheres between him and everybody else in terms of that balance of getting punch outs and not giving anybody free passes. That's that's pretty important. That's a big thing to have. Yeah. Also, doesn't give up much homers, which is impressive. So exactly, that's how you this get is, it. All. This is a very, very good option, Lewis. Yeah, you're right. The good fielder, independent numbers. The only thing that um, I mean, may benefit the Marlins is his age and the fact that he's he's 36 actually Oof. at this yeah. stage. So if that brings down his price just a little bit, then even better for a team like Miami that is 
just at a big need for having these trusty high leverage arms to go with. So I will, I'll give you my key reliever here as well. Now that we're on the subject, I will go with Adam Adovino. Yeah, there you go. He's going, he's going to be a free agent, just like these other two guys. Um, similar to Martin in terms of his age. He's even a little bit older. He's going to be 37 in the middle of this offseason. Just has a really extensive track record in the majors at this point. We have a solid decade of him being uh, a pretty good setup. And there's been a couple blips in there during that COVID season in 2020. He was mm -hmm. ineffective for the Yankees. Yeah, um, but for the most part, last 10 years, he has been, he misses a lot of bats. And he's coming off a year where he did have a lot more control than is typical of him. Only 16 walks in 66 innings, and a couple of those were intentional as well. He has a pretty simple formula where he has this cut fastball and he has this uh, just almost gravity-defying slider Slide. that he uses. It's one of my favorite pitches just to watch, the way that it moves. He It, it was also fun reading his story about how he like developed that pitch. He is a very cerebral guy. He is all in on pitch design and that stuff, which I feel has you know some sort of benefit to bring that to an organization like the Marlins that generally doesn't seem to have used that much in the past when it comes to pitch design. So I feel that has some unintended benefits beyond just the individual numbers that Adovino puts up. So just getting into last season, uh, he was with the Mets last year, an ERA of 206, a FIP of 285. He went under the radar because every Mets reliever aside from Edwin Diaz was kind of in Edwin Diaz's shadow. So people didn't really notice anybody else aside yeah. from Edwin Diaz, but he saved three games when Diaz was unavailable. And it just coming off a really effective year for in what's been a, a lot of effective years in his career. But he's coming, he's at a stage where he's been bouncing around a little bit. Let's see, he just earned four million this past season. That's probably going up a little bit just considering how well he performed this past year, but he's going to be, I imagine in the same price range as somebody like Suarez and like Martin on either um, probably a two year deal to, mm -hmm. to get him to come over at this point. So this would be pretty contingent probably in the Mets keeping Diaz and the Mets are a team that is going to be spending a lot to just retain their own guys that can't keep everybody. I think he's uh he's a table and he just does this really simple thing where He's going to be tough to hit no matter what. You know, the question is whether he throws enough strikes. And for somebody that most, he really hasn't had a full season as a closer. So I don't know exactly where he fits in in the bullpen hierarchy. Um, I, I think it's it's somebody like Martin, where um, you, you just want him to pitch high leverage innings of some kind. He's been there. He's done that before. He's a, So it's not a super sexy name, but somebody that I think very, very likely would improve what the Marlins are getting late in games. Yeah, this is the other case where we overlap on guys. And I, I really do like Adam Ottavino. He is a very, very good pitcher. 11 saves in 2021, so he does have the experience. He's been in Coors Field for almost his whole career. So he knows he, – he, I think adjusting to a hitter-friendly ball – I mean, a pitcher-friendly ballpark is not is going to be even better for him in Lone Depot. And um, he will be familiar with the division. Uh, now, after having a full season under his belt with with the Mets, he should be able to have some familiarity there, and maybe that'll help. And it'll it'll maybe open the doors for him. Maybe go back to a closer's role, maybe seventh or eighth inning guy. I, I really do think he'd be pitching the high leverage, as you mentioned. And his FIP is a little bit higher than his ERA itself this season. And I think yeah, yeah, just this season because last season was a little bit lower. But 
that's not something that's concerning me at the moment. He he's a very good player. I mean, a very good pitcher. I'm sorry, and I'd love I would love Miami to go out here and sign a type, uh, someone like Adam Adovino. Yeah, I love the sinker slider approach. I think he's kind of slowly backing off that four seam fastball more. If you look at his pitch usage, if you go back to like 2021 and 22, he really, I think a lot of his success, I mean, it's weird though. Jekyll and Hyde, great success with the four seamer in 21 when he struggled. And then he has a great year this year and hitters hit 429 on his fastball with an 857 slug, albeit he threw a lot less of them. Um, so it's a smaller sample to go off of. But yeah, like you said, Eli, I mean, just that he's one of those like sinker slider guys who were in an era now where, you know, being a sinker slider guy didn't mean what it did when Jake guys like Jake Westbrook were throwing 88 to 91, you know, guys like that were kind of defining what those kind of pitchers were. Um, Adovino is still 94 to 96 with, like you said, one of the most aesthetically pleasing pitching, pitching ninja uh, graph centric sliders that we've ever seen. I mean, he looks like he's falling off the center of the earth when he throws that slider and yeah, he's tough to hit, man. One of those sinker slider cutter guys is just incredibly effective. I had another reliever. I mean, I had three relievers on my list. Um, the next one I'll probably touch on um, is an interesting one. He's actually pitching in the world series this year and um, knows the division. I think Eli may have an idea of where I'm going. Maybe not. Uh, Rafael Montero though. Ah, Okay. With the Astros, again, the Astros can pretty much fix anything. You know, they they know how to revitalize. I mean, we saw briefly with Aaron Sanchez at one point. He was viable again for a short time with them in 2019. Um, Rafael Montero, former starter, obviously, with the Mets. He bounced – had a good year a couple of years ago with the Rangers. Like, um, didn't strike out a lot of guys that year, I believe, in 2019, but was effective with them. A 237 ERA this year, a 264 fifth. Um, 1.3 baseball reference war. Montero is just kind of one of those seventh, eighth inning guys, make spot closer kind of guy, mid nineties, like just good secondary stuff, good changeup. I've always remembered him having a pretty good changeup when he was with the Mets, although he never materialized as a starter, but he was always a guy that like, I was like, his stuff says he should be better than he is. And like, I don't know how much he'll cost necessarily, but you know, he's about 30. He's not too old. He's not too young. But I don't think he'll be that expensive, especially given that his good years as a reliever have come with a little bit of a blip in between. Yeah, and I think something to mention, which was with e- Eli, I believe, mentioned this, was that this is his first real legit season pitching very well because I believe that before that he's had a little bit of struggle. I'm trying to find a stats right now. Here we go. Yeah, this is his first season where he's been pretty dang good. I mean, besides that, 727 ERA in 2021 with Seattle. Uh, then maybe 2019, 22 games, um, first year with the Mets. But besides that, I mean, if if he could keep that trajectory where he's on right now in 2022 and take and translate that to 2023 with the Marlins, this would be an amazing pickup. And he could be a middle relief type guy in the high leverage when, you know, maybe someone like Trevor gets – stuck up there in in any situation or any pitch not just trevor just he i I think this guy could be pretty damn good signing i don't think it would be that expensive because this is his first season showing um having his first really good legit season so 
that's how I always see. I do love the pickup. I know I, I mentioned this guy to Eli a while back, and he told and then I think that's what he told me about Robert Suarez, the possibility of that. So I like Montero. I really do. I think he's a great option. Um, it's just if he could keep it up and he could have back to back good seasons. Right. Yeah, he's somebody for whatever reason. I can't put my finger on it. I just he feels like a Marlin to me for whatever reason. Yeah. Of all the relievers we mentioned, I, I have some like innate feeling that Montero would would be the guy that they go with. As with most most relievers, it's just a question of how consistent he is with his control and with getting ahead in counts. When, when he's ahead in counts, he's pretty lethal. In this offseason, this postseason, as you said, getting a lot of experience working in it. And most of his outings in this off in this postseason have been pretty clean, with like maybe one exception during the ALCS. And even that game, the Astros came back and, and won. So with, with this Astros team that has ridiculous depth when it comes to their bullpen, uh, they probably won't go too far out of their way to re-sign everybody. So he's somebody probably as much as these other players, kind of like Adovino, where I feel pretty optimistic that the Marlins would be in a decent position to negotiate and that uh, they wouldn't have to worry too much about bidding against his his former team. Is there anybody else, Kevin, that we haven't already touched on? Who is um, on We have not touched up on Josh Bell. That is the next team I want to look at. Th- exactly three points are war, so he just falls into this category. He should have been an all-star. He was not an all-star, unfortunately, but... Uh, as I mentioned before, this team needs a first baseman. This is someone who is very ma- manages the strikeout to walk ratio very well. Twelve percent walk, fifty uh, percent strikeout. Not a big, not the biggest home run hitter. Hit as many as Trent Grisham, for example, seventeen homers. He won't bring you as much power as Rizzo, but he's definitely going to give you the balance. I would say between contact and power hitting, seventy-one RBIs. Uh, he's also a switch hitter, so that that's a, a nice plus there. Um, I don't know how high his value is going to be after struggling with San Diego in the second half, but I believe it'll still be high, just not as high as maybe it would have been if he if he would have just looked at his first half of the season. But I, I really do like the option of Josh Bell. I know I believe it was Christina DiNicola who mentioned it very recently, uh, Eli and Lewis. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely someone who I'm surprised we still haven't mentioned, but with, the, with you could see, I guess, the need at first base. Josh Bell would fit perfectly there and provide you um, that that balanced hitter in the lineup, and he could hit lefty or righty whenever whenever needed. That's right. I think you sacrifice a little bit of defense, though. Yeah. He has the reputation of not being a great defender, although you look at him and you're like, he looks really smooth at points, but he's very well-spoken. Like, there's a lot to like about him. I mean, when he came over to the Nationals, I was like, they, you know, the Pirates kind of got rid of him when his value was pretty low. Like he was coming off a poor year after he had made an all-star team and had a, and then that was preceded by a poor second half was pretty good in 21. And then, yeah, like you said, Kev, this year, like he just kind of found himself again. Um, The power is there. I mean, like the power is like he, I think he'll maybe run into a little bit more power playing, you know, not having to move ballparks the way he kind of did going from, Washington to San Diego, Washington, as we know, is a pretty hitter-friendly ballpark for the most part. And San Diego tends to suppress a lot of offense. Um, I like Josh Bell. I wouldn't be too confident in him, at least like not commanding a deal that approaches upwards of 40, 45 million. I think the team who gets him is going to maybe have to commit that third year to secure his services. 
just because I think he has enough of a proven track record to where like you wouldn't feel too upset giving him that deal. But I don't know if that team will be the Marlins. That being said, like, you know, fans waking up knowing that Josh Bell would be in their everyday lineup would have to be excited because there's a lot that he does very, very well. Um, last guy I wanted to mention, I guess, and it's one, one more reliever. I mean, listen, like, I like surprising you guys with some of the picks I make. I don't know if this one will surprise you. I was surprised to see he had accrued as much value given that he was just kind of, like, sitting in relative anonymity for so long after being so hyped and then just kind of fizzling out. But I'm just going to say the name, Matt Moore. Like, surprisingly, like, amazing year, albeit with some caveats for the Rangers. Uh, 195 ERA. What a name. Uh, uh, you know, the FIP is still near three, and that is because the one thing that he's never ironed out ever since he's been with the Rays is that he just – not that he wants to, but he has a propensity to walk guys religiously. I looked it up. He threw 74 innings this year, I believe. Of every pitcher who threw at least 70 innings this year, he had the fifth worst – walk rate in the majors 4.6 walks to nine that's why you know his fit is slightly is a full run higher in his era but yeah, that being said, like he i mean again he'd be another steven Oker, like and you see it right there like he's in the fourth percentile on walk rate he's a former starter most relievers are failed starters but the stuff is like you know it's crazy to think that he's only 33. I remember being a freshman in high school in 2011, watching this guy pitch in the playoffs against the Yankees and look like, and thinking to myself, he's so poised. Like he just like, he looks so relaxed out there. Like the stuff was great. Mid nineties fastball with a sharp changeup and a nice 12 to six curveball. Like he, or not 12, six, but he had a nice breaking ball. Like he just looked so good. So young. And then had that all-star season. And after that, he had the Tommy John and, Things never further manifested in a positive way for him. But he's kind of become this reliever in the last couple of years after realizing that, hey, like, I'm not a starter long term. I'm at least not a valuable one. And, yeah, I mean, like, you sign him, you may be signing Stephen Oker 2.0 because it's the walks that scare you. But when he's not walking, guys, he's, like, not Randy Johnson, but he's striking out guys in a light-esque Johnson fashion. I don't know, Johnson-esque fashion. Uh, yeah, I, I like Matt Moore, but he was worth 2.4 wins this year. Wow. That's impressive. I completely forgot about Matt Moore. I'm not going to lie to you. I remember he was with the Rays. He was one of the most hyped pitching prospects, and he was with the Phillies last year, now that I'm looking yep. at it. Yeah, the Phillies make... fans blew the heat. They, uh, they were ready to rip his head off. He was so he was, disappointing he was for them. Really bad. Like, 629 right. ER. Because if I remember correctly, he went to Japan during the COVID year when his career yeah. was like bottomed out. And he came back. He improved his stock enough that he got a major league deal from the Phillies. And so the Phillies that had spent a lot of money on other parts of their roster, they put him in for a back end rotation spot. And that was. As you said, you know, uh, the realization, just accepting his role as a reliever, that has made a big difference for yeah, somebody I mean, that obviously was the starter for a while. And he's gotten, as a lefty with that prospect pedigree, he was going to get every chance possible to stick in the rotation. And now at this stage of his career, um, reinventing himself and extending his career uh, quite a bit with him. So, 
mean, fits in the category with a lot of these other guys where the, the current state of the Marlins bullpen, it needs more swing and miss. And for somebody that's simply been around a while and whose peripherals look as exciting as his does, except for the walk rate, worth a shot. So it all depends on exactly uh, what the price is going to be. But And I have one more name. Mm-hmm. Last one, trade target, also a Pittsburgh Pirate. So David Bednar. Um that is the final one. He was huh. an yeah, he's surprised this year. 1.3 war. So he was an all-star, and I am looking for him on my notes. Here we go. All-star in 2022. He would be immediately the closer. Um comes over to pitcher friendly Lone Depot. He could be in the Brian Reynolds trade. Miami would have to give up a lot more, but if you want to just bring them both, you may as well just add Ben or why not why do two separate trades there? He knows Jacob Stallings, so 19 saves, 244 FIP, 16 walks, very low walks there in that end, 3 and 4, 19 saves, as I mentioned, 261 ERA. I, I like David Bednar. He, I know we discussed him last season at some point when this team was in it, as I mentioned prior, but he would be a very nice fit for the Marlins, and you could then have that closer spot locked down, and, and he's pretty young, I believe. I want to say he's 28. 28, yeah, he's very young, so... This would be a perfect fit for for him to come over to Miami, and then you could just worry about the rest of your bullpen and have at least that closer spot locked down. Right. Where I'm going to finish us off is by grouping together a few different candidates at the same time. And these would be the young Arizona Diamondbacks outfielders. This has been mentioned by other people about how this seems to be a pretty sensible trade match between a DVAX team that was at the end of the year really came on strong. Once they called up all these young guys, Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy, Corbin Carroll, all these guys that posted between one and three war while playing less than a full season in the big leagues for a team that um, is is looking to take a step forward, but has too many outfielders that have center field potential for a Marlins team that needs a center fielder, but has some surpluses elsewhere that could help. Um so among these guys, I'm kind of grouping them all together. I guess the one I would focus on most is Alec Thomas, he being the one that I feel most comfortable defensively in center field. And uh, you may remember he actually hit a, a home run against Sandy when they were playing in Arizona mm-hmm. back in May. That was his first major league home run back then. He's a tiny guy, but has decent amount of power relative to his size. He's more of a, a hit over power guy. And uh, his first season, his value was propped up by the defense, by the center field defense. As a hitter, a 619 OPS while playing in Arizona, that's not very good. But a good contact hitter. So the makings of that, which stands out, when you have both a center field defense and you're putting the ball in play, and you have amazing speed, which didn't translate into stolen bases. But I want to look this up right now. Uh, Off the top of my head, I think he was like 95th percentile or higher in sprint speed, Alec Thomas. I'll pull this up just for a moment to make sure that a rookie, just like those other D-backs guys, exactly 95th percentile in sprint speed. Look at that. This past season. Very young. Yeah. A a switch hitter, um, well-regarded as a prospect coming on the way up. And this is a D-backs team that just has a surplus of those type of guys um, right now at this stage of their development. So they're going to be more available than center fielders would normally be from some of these other teams. Uh, the value I think would still be relatively high just considering how many years of team control he has left six more to go. Uh, but 
I'm sure the Marlins are going to be inquiring with a team like the D-backs about him and about these other players that kind of fall in the same bracket where you can see the upside if they can make contact and they have this natural athleticism. Uh, those are the type of players that uh, the team really needs because they're homegrown outfielders, as we've seen. Uh, most of them, unfortunately, just don't have the all-around tools that you can really dream about and can fit in the middle of those veteran outfielders that are already uh, under contract. So have you thought about the D-backs as a trade partner for them this offseason? I have you? not. I'm not going to lie to you. I have not thought about them at all. I know they've had a very good end to their season, or pretty good. I know they called them Corbin Carroll, and that seems going to be very, very fun in a couple of years. Let's see how that works out. Was Zach Gallon, former Marlin there. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that long term. Yeah, yeah, they do have Ketel Marte who could play you the infield and the outfield. Yeah. And yeah, I wanted to mention one last name here, just for the, mm -hmm. just for the fun of it. It's not going to happen, but it would be a fun name. I don't know. Maybe Tim Anderson would be a nice fit there. For the Marlins, you put him at shortstop with Jazz. The marketing is going to be amazing, Tim and Jazz. Two oh, of the yeah. Popular players in baseball. Uh, he only played 79 games, so just keep that in mind when reading the stats out. You know, 301 batting average, 339 OBP, 395 slugging, 734 OPS, six homers, 25 RBIs. Uh, 4% walk and then 15% strikeout. Uh, I believe he was also an all-star starter. So I guess if you want to add that to the resume there, with maybe Jose Abreu on his way out of Chicago, new manager, you're kind of entering that stage where you're going to start maybe a rebuild in Chicago. I don't know maybe how much of a rebuild, maybe a retool, you could say. Mm -hmm. But Tim Anderson would maybe bring you some starting pitching, which you very much need. Um, you mentioned Eddie Cabrera, Braxton, maybe even Pablo if you – want to make a trade there for tim anderson yeah it's a plug and play you'd put him at shortstop and it, it would be a nice fit with miami there with jazz and, and the rest of the game i believe he has a club option right eli he, it's a player option i think or club it's anyways an option he has two team options these there next couple of years for 2023 so it's two years of control next year would be 12 and a half million dollars and assuming things go pretty well the following year would be 14 million those are very reasonable numbers for as you've said, a multi-time all-star shortstop. He just hits. And, like he's yeah. somebody that I'm sure Lewis wasn't a fan of coming up because he never walks. He, never. he doesn't walk. He only he doesn't hits, walk. But he, he, but he hits at such he hits at such an incredible level that um it makes up for the lack of walks. Yeah, this year was really the only year where he's had extensive uh, time missed due to injury. Um, when he was healthy, he was he was pretty good. Uh, so if you extrapolate that over a full season, it would be a two and a half win player. I'm I'm just I'm skeptical about him actually being available. He's he's very popular. I doubt it. In, I in doubt Chicago. it. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's he's what Jazz has been touted to be with a longer leash. But I don't even think he's a great defender at shortstop either. Like the metrics have never really loved him at shortstop. Right. I mean, there's times where they thought he was average, but for the most part, they've kind of just said like, yeah, he's a below average defender. He's, but he's flashy. And like, you know what? Like I love him for the sake that like baseball needs more guys like that. They need more headline grabbers. Um, you know, I wish more networks would talk about the game, you know, the way that guys like Tim Anderson merit, I at least advanced discussion about, but yeah, I mean, like, I like him. I think he's a good player. I think he's, I'm not going to say he's a little overrated, but, the deficiency in his skill set and the fact that he just doesn't draw walks. Like he's never walked more than 30 times in the season. Like his adjusted OPS plus is affected by that. It's 105. So like he's 
an above average hitter. He's still managed to kind of make it through the blaze with not too many scratches on him. But there are, I mean, I think the White Sox have an emotional attachment to him because I think he's just such a marketing, yeah. I guess, gold mine given his personality and, yeah. you know, what he means for baseball and being like the face of bat flipping, I guess, minus Jose Bautista. That I, I mean, if you're on the Marlins, like the Marlins would definitely be a lot more fun to watch. Oh, yeah. He's a good player and he's entertaining, but um, yeah, it's a pipe dream. Yeah, that's why I just mentioned him. Just a fun name to throw out there. You know, it fit into the war category as well. Obviously, I believe it would, he would not be in this category if, if he had played more games, but just a fun name to throw out there. It makes, it makes sense when, when you look at it. Yeah. Right. We still have a couple more aisles to go where we're going to get into some real star players. The, the unfortunate reality is that with some of the other shortstop alternatives in free agency – that we'll get to. I mean, those are the guys where it's just hard to see a scenario where the Marlins pay what they are going to require in order to acquire them. So when you're talking about ones that are maybe under the perfect circumstances would be available and also would be attainable for the team, like Tim Anderson is pretty high up uh, on the list. So once again, we covered at least a dozen players in depth here, a lot more relievers than I thought, but that is a big yeah. need for the team as well. Wrapping up aisle two of uh, Marlins offseason shopping, another reminder that you can find aisle one on the same podcast feed, and this one right around the same length going here. And this one went a lot more swimmingly from the technical perspective. So I think we'll just put this whole thing up on YouTube if you want to watch it there for some visual aids to go along with our analysis. Eli Sussman here with Lewis Eddie Weiss with Kevin Barral. Yeah, I think we'll be back at the same time next week to go do aisle three getting even more ambitious in terms of players coming off pretty great years that could help the Marlins in a variety of ways. Uh, so let us know which of these players you're most intrigued by, which ones you think are most realistic for the team to acquire. And by the time we record the next episode, yeah, it's officially going to be the off season. So thanks everybody for listening. Rate and review the pod wherever applicable here on the official show, Marlins off season shopping. Thanks as always for your support and go fish. <laughs>